Hey everybody, Stevie Taylor here. Welcome to episode 39 of the Gig Life Podcast. If you're new to the show, welcome. Hope you enjoy this episode and uh, if you do, go back and check out all the other episodes. Um, if you're returning, thank you for coming back. I really appreciate your support. It, it means a lot that you keep coming back. Um, if you weren't coming back, I probably still wouldn't be doing it. If you haven't subscribed to the show, go to your podcast listening app or, or um, website or whatever it is and, and click whatever subscribe button they, they have or, or link. Um, and if there's a little bell or something, you can click that and you'll get automatic notifications of the new episodes once they pop up. Um, if you want to contact me at any stage, um, I like talking to people. So hit me up on the Good Life podcast on Instagram or Facebook. Um, the same, it's the same handle for both. Yeah, just drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the show or, or um, recommend some guests or, uh, or if you just want to have a yarn, all good. Sounds good to me. I could also use your help to spread the word of the show. So um, if you dig it, please share it on your Facebook or your Instagram or Twitter or whatever or send an email to a friend or ring a friend, text a friend and say, hey, check out the coolest podcast in the land, the Gig Life Podcast. <laughs> Appreciate it. Anyway, without further ado, let's uh, sit back and listen to episode 39 with Mr. Dave Ferry. Cheers. My guest today is Dave Ferry. Dave is a drummer originally from Oberon, but now living in Sydney. Dave was the longtime drummer in the Frankie's world-famous house band. Um, he's also played with Doug Parkinson, Pete Northcote, and many, many others. I first made contact with Dave a couple of years ago via the Facebook. Um, we instantly connected via our common love for Toto and drummer Jeff Beccaro. Um, a couple of months ago when I was putting together the panel for the Gig Life podcast, Drummers Roundtables, Dave was one of the first people I thought of. I asked him and he agreed to be a part of it, which was awesome. So go back and listen to those couple of episodes. Um, they were heaps of fun. So this is just me and Dave hanging out at his house, drinking beer, chatting about his life, chatting about his career, Toto, Jeff Beccaro and the future. Um, we had lots of laughs. I hope you dig it as much as I did. So uh, ladies and gentlemen... Please put your hands together for Mr. Dave Ferry. Cheers. I think we're rolling. Dave Ferry. Hey, mate. Welcome again to the Gig Life Podcast. Mate, thanks for having me. No, sweet. Well, um, thanks for coming. No, too easy. I, I, I haven't been out the eastern suburbs for a while. We're at um, Bronte, looking out over the ocean. Um, it's nice. It's not and, bad. Yep. Um, now we met for the first time a few weeks ago at the the drummers roundtable thing that we we uh, we did. So listen back to those episodes, people. Um, it was a it was a cool fun hang. 
Yeah, it was um, a great hang. That was awesome. Yeah, it was cool. The first time we ever made contact with each other, and I don't know if you remember this, but it was, and I was looking at my messages earlier today, it was 2015, and I sent you a Facebook um, friend request, and then I've actually got it here. <laughs> this is scary. No, it's not scary. It's cool, man. It's like it's it's it's. Oops. So it was. Um, <laughs> I don't remember. Yeah, it was. It was December two thousand fifteen, and and you wrote, "Thanks for finding me on here, Stevie. Have a great Sunday, and if you're gigging, hit them well." And I went. Oh, I wrote back, "Cheers, Dave. Likewise to you." And then straight away you went, "I'm watching this. Shannon Forrest is a monster," and you you sent me that. You dropped me this. Um, yeah, that's yeah. Toto, some French sessions thing that they were doing, and and Shannon Forrest playing drums, and I'm I'm thinking to myself, this guy's fucking awesome. Like we've never met, and he's just he just sent me this link to this video. So yeah, we ended up chatting for, you know, a few minutes about that. So yeah, it was really cool. So yeah. since then, I thought you were a cool dude, man. Oh, thanks, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I need guys like you in my life. No, no, no. All good. All good. Um. So what's been going on, man? Um, we'll start at kind of what, what you're doing now and then maybe we'll roll back to, to some early days. Yeah, okay. Um, well, at the moment, it's um, quite by, by choice. Um, I've got a, a little baby girl. She's 16 months old now. Mm-hmm. And um, so I've, I've um, just sort of rolled back the gigs a lot compared to what I used to do. Um, and so really I've, I've only got one regular gig a week that I do um, at the Rambling Rascal Tavern um, in the city. Uh, awesome little place. It's really, really cool. Um, we get a lot of awards, especially for the you know, bar staff. Not for the music yet, but we're working on that. <laughs> um, and I do that. It's, it's a residency each, each Thursday night with uh, Peter Northcote, um, Dario Bordelin, myself um, in the band, and then, and then we... Um, we just alternate singers each week and different, you know, different set. Yep. Um, it's pretty laid back, but they're, they're such good players that, um, you know, kind of get through some stuff um, and, you know, other stuff we've all played together too. So we, you know, nail a lot of things, but it's, it's a really, really good vibe and the, you're on the floor, which I love because uh, all my gigs growing up were all the sort of corner of pubs, carpeted floor Um you, people can actually stand behind you and, and watch your right. drum as well, That's which cool. is which is really cool. And you get a lot of people come up and go, oh, I didn't realise that there was, you know, there was so much in it or um, I understand it more now watching it from a from behind. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, it's interesting. Like there's a lot of um, creative people that come in there, but there's also a lot of um, people after work. Uh, it's right in the CBD. So right. it's Wait, Where is it exactly? It's, uh, yeah, it's at the corner of... Um, Park and Elizabeth Street, and it's it's downstairs, sort right. of just up from um, from the Sheridan on the park. Is that where the old Globe used to be? Maybe, maybe it used to be an old nightclub, and it was a comedy like a comedy club too. I think um, it, there's a karaoke bar just down the road. Oh, well, not not quite sure. If you're into your karaoke, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's interesting. You, you know, you get the usual people that come in who know the gigs on, but you, you get a lot of um, office professionals that come in and, and their face lights up when you they just you know they've walked in and playing deep purple or um, or Beatles stuff or mm. so yeah it's 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 a cool cool hang and there's just so many different um, you know people that come in so it's yeah it's 
um, great lug too. I've got a, a kit stored there. And oh, sweet. Yeah. Yep. So, oh, great. so that's the main thing. And then, and then other than that, um, just freelance stuff like yourself, mm. um, whoever, you know, whoever calls up and, and, yep. and wants something. But yeah, I used to do a lot of, a, a lot of shows and, and travel a, a little bit, but, um, <clears throat> yeah, with, with the little one, it's just sort of mostly local stuff and, um, and, and sort of, I, I'm not doing shows where I have to rehearse a lot, unless it's something that I'm really passionate about. Do you it's, rehearse for the Rambling Rascals thing? No, no, not at all. Do, oh. do you know what you're going to play on the day? No. Oh, no, that's, that's, no. that's um, awesome. Every now and then, um, <clears throat> Pete might flick me a song and say, here's one to have a listen to. Okay. But that's it. Um, when we have the likes of um, Bernie Sedgenen there, he's like, a, he's like a human jukebox, that guy. He actually sung it. Jess and my wedding. Great. And, yeah. um, and funny guy. And uh, I remember the first time I played with him, he said, hey, Davo, do you know this tune? And I went, oh, no, mate, I don't. He said, oh, you're going to love it. One, two, three, four. <laughs> <laughs> Far out. So, yeah, it, um, some nights are more structured than others. There's, there's guys that you get in, oh, and, and women as well, who we have singing where um, you've done it a few times so you, you know what's coming. But I think... Especially Pete, he likes to throw you in the deep end as well. Right. I think, you know, we've all been part of really well rehearsed shows. Yep. But this one's a bit of a um, a bit of a playing show where we, you know, we try and do the best we can, but at the same time, let's see if we can um, think on our feet as well. Great. And you can see Pete sometimes look at me and think, oh, let's see if this little little fella can get out of this one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, which is a good. It's a good vibe. Awesome. Um, yeah. But um, so that's that's mainly what I'm doing. Um, you know, as of as of today, yeah, um, that might change. Yeah, yeah, cool, man. All right, let's roll back to the beginning. So you're from Oberon, Oberon, mate. Oberon, mate. Mm. Um, um, was it music in the family early? Fam, was there? Sorry, was music in the family? I'll, I'll rephrase that. Was there music in the family? Yes. Yes. <clears throat> okay. Yeah. So, um, so I'm Oberonese. I'm. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Um, born in Oberon, uh, uh, went to school there. Um, great little place, actually, about two and a half thousand people, so very, very small, very cold. We used to yep. um, have days off from um, school because of snow, and right. the buses couldn't get through. Right. Um, Dad was the muso, um, so, and yeah, he, he started really young. Um, he was doing sort of like your um, barn dances and, and um, he was in a wedding band from the age of 14, um, 14 or 15. And um, he sort of went against the grain a little bit. His, his dad was health inspector in town, you know, pretty respected kind of job. And, and uh, dad was the rebellious muso. And, um, and my uncle played too. Um, so, um, so, but I think dad was the one that sort of probably took it a little bit more serious. And um, I think he, I'm not sure of the figures, but he used to make, something like three times or four times more in a night than what he would as an apprentice electrician when right. he was... So it was the, the, the pay was really great back then. Mm. Um, so there was a lot of incentive to get really good fast. And mm. um, so, so Dad played from a very early age. And then growing up, um, Dad owned a music store in, in Bathurst. So from the age of, I think I was six till probably early mid-teens, um, Dad owned that music store and we were just, um, we live, um, Mum and Dad split up when I was young but 
so we lived um, with mum during the week and then every weekend we'd go to dad's in Bathurst and we'd spend Saturday mornings in the shop and then Saturday afternoons dad would go and do a sound check somewhere and then if we could we'd go to the gig and if not just wait until Sunday morning until we heard all the debaucherous stories of <laughs> you know he was playing he was playing all these gigs in the 80s when things were really happening yeah. so even out in the country there was there was a lot happening really and um so we, we just had we just had such a good um so you know um a, a good environment of, of music all around us there was um all the the traveling musicians used to come in for for sticks and strings and stuff at, in dad's store so we, we met them all um all the local guys sort of took my brother and I under under their wing and um and that's where to we'll talk about it probably later but um my obsession with Toto at the time when dad had the shop that's when all and that band was really cooking and all the you know all the players were hearing this stuff for the first time so um it was just being in that shop environment as a little kid and having all these guys around yep we just um you know we weren't it wasn't all music a lot of the time we were at the back dad had this shop and and it was you can imagine at the back of a shop in Bathurst and there was there was like a courtyard and we'd be playing, you know, G.I. Joes and, and with toy cars and, and then you'd have someone come out who was a, you know, cool player and you'd talk to them about music and then back into your cars again and, yeah, cool. you know, then throw water bombs around and, yep. um, so we, and you know, all school holidays. So, so that, was, that was our upbringing really and all we wanted to do was go to the shop, follow Dad around and, and our goal was to play in a band with Dad and um, I remember being at the back with my brother in the dirt playing cars and I said to him, oh, I think I, think I want to be a guitarist like Dad. And my brother said, well, Dad's a guitarist. I'm a guitarist because he's a little bit older. He said, you can't be a guitarist, mate. I said, oh, well, what am I going to do with that? He said, well, why don't you play drums? So I went into Dad. This is six years old. I said, oh, Dad, um, I'm going to play drums. He said, "All right." So Dad's a guitarist; he's not a drummer. But um, uh, he said, "Well, I'll I'll show you a I'll show you a groove." So he sat me up on the chair, six years old. He showed me this four four, you know. <clears throat> boom, 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 boom. He said, "Play that." And see, I'd been around it for years watching, but so played it. <clears throat> dun, 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 straight back to him. Went, "All right." He said, "Try it with a fill now." Dun, 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 dun played it straight back to him and I said, oh, you could do this, Dad, or you could do this. And <laughs> he went, oh, shit, okay. Uh, so, so he rang, he rang uh, a drum teacher that day and I got my first lesson that afternoon uh, and then it really, hadn't really stopped from there. But, um, so that was, that was the intro, um, I guess. So Dad was, Dad was a, um, he's a, a great guitarist. Um, he's, a, he's got a really great voice, um, plays piano really well. Um, um, he's not trained at all, um, but he's just, uh, he's got a great ear. Um, and he's a really good sound engineer as well. Uh, really good front of house guy. Yeah, I was going to say front of house or, or, yeah, or yeah, front of house guy. Yep. Um, so when we were kids, he used to also have a pretty big touring rig that, so when he wasn't playing, he was, he was renting the rig out or, yep. or doing that. So I remember being, I think seven or eight and, and doing, um, drum check for, for Dragon. So, really? Awesome. Yeah, which was pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. In fact, there's just things like that, but you're just exposed to it all the time. And, um, you know, it was just the family business, really. And, and yep. my brother's gone on to be 
a great player. He's he's an amazing guitarist. So, uh, so we're we're into. Does it. he play around? He does. He, he's um he'll kill me for this, but um he he does play around. He's he he plays mainly up in sort of in in the country. Um, he's a great country player. Um, really yeah, really beautiful, pretty player. But he, I think he loves I think he loves the playing, but I don't think he necessarily loves the scene. Okay. If, if I've got that. <laughs> right, but he um, he's had some really really great offers to come down here and play with some some big artists, and he's mm. for whatever reason he's knocked it back. Okay, um, he's got a really lovely family up there, and and I think he's he he's got that um, that nice balance of of keeping music as his passion and still being at a professional level at it gotcha. without burning out. Yep. Um, you know, he, when I when I go up and see him, all he wants to do is talk music. He's got a guitar in his hand the whole time. He's excited all he's the time. He's excited all yeah, the time. So I think cool. he's actually got. I think he's he's smarter than I am. I think he's he's still got that passion. You know, and he he comes down to Sydney. He still wants to hit all the music shops. It's like, oh man. <laughs> <laughs> no, he's into it. He yeah, loves that's it. Cool. Is he older or younger? Three years older. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Any other siblings? Uh, yeah, I've got I've got a sister Amanda as well. She's okay. she's six years younger. Right. Yeah. Does she play anything? No, she's she plays a little bit of guitar. She was, she, as I said, she's six years younger, so she was sort of. Um, um, Dad had closed the store by then, and 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 then we were off kind of gigging with Dad. So she sort of, unfortunately, she sort of missed the um, the buzz of it a bit. We we're already off doing it, so. Um, but she was she's around it. I think she's she's got as much of a connection to music as we do. She's probably just not. Um, she doesn't perform, you know, and I, but I think, um, you know, she's got a strat at home, uh, and she loves it as just as much as we do, um, and um, but yeah, just in a in a different form. Yep. But yeah, mm. I think um, I think definitely her upbringing um, was um, definitely paved the way for for how she feels about music anyway. Yeah, that's cool. And uh, and just to f I guess to finish, dad's dad's mother, um, she was a she was a really great. Um, piano player and organ player as well. So that's where sort of dad, I think, got the genes from right. initially. What sort of style of music? Oh, like I think she, she, was, a, she was a church yep. player. Yep, um, she, <laughs> So funny. Um, she, in the, in the old people's home where she was, she used to play for, you know, sort of honky-tonk stuff for all the, um, the oldies in there. But once a week they used to hire someone to come in. And, and Nan never went to the, never never went down to listen because she said it. You know, I think she said it. Look, it's my it's my fucking gig. <laughs> <laughs> I think she had the shits that she'd be yeah. replaced once a week. Yeah. It was her residency. Yeah. So right. so she held on to that whole um, you know fight for your gigs until the end. Great. God love her. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, what about music in school? Were you playing playing school bands? Yeah. Um, Obron was a funny one. Um, Obron was a really great place to grow up. And it was a good little school that I went to, um, but it, there was just like I think it was eleven kids in my year, or it was just really small, and and there just wasn't enough there for you know doing, um, you know, putting together a band or anything like that. So when I was in year nine, I, I supported my cousin in her HSC music, and um, one of the one of the judges was um, a music teacher from. A, a private school in, in Bathurst, and um, he he approached me and said, "I oh, you should you should um, try it for a, for a scholarship." So so I did and, and got it. So oh, year ten, eleven, and twelve, um, I went to St Stanislaus College in Bathurst um, on a full music scholarship. 
um, in, just for their for their stage band. And so Brilliant. got to play all this stuff that I'd never get to play. And um, like what? Oh, you know, caravan and all right. all the all that sort of classic stage band stuff. Yeah. And and I'm not a reader either. So okay. um, for me, that was like, oh, hang on, this is this is different. So I still actually, you're not a reader, or you weren't, no, you not, weren't a reader, and you're still not a reader. I'm still not a reader. <laughs> I um I fought it. I'm, I'm silly. I should I sh- I should have it down by now, but I don't. Um, <clears throat> but can you read to a point though? Oh, look, I can. I can sit down and kind of go, oh, you, you know, I, if if there was something that I couldn't work out, I'd probably consult some sort of notation to try and work it out. Uh, that okay, way. yep. Um, but it would take me a while. Like, there's, okay. you know, there's no way in hell I could sight read. Um, yeah, no. That, um, I could probably, I could probably read snare patterns and stuff reasonably well right. um, to, to a point. And, and you. you know, I'd make some mistakes, but I'd, I'd I get you. half of it. Yep. Um, so anyway, that was, that was funny. I had to sort of um, bluff my way through a lot of that, but, but nailed it. And it was, a lot of that too was um, they, they wanted a performer as well because all those sort of stage bands are very kind of, you know, tied on up tight and they wanted a different sort of approach. So, you know, Caravan, they had me getting behind the, um, around the kit and playing solos on you know, right. all over the stage. And so it was a bit of a, um, it was a bit of exposure to that as, as being on, on show. And um, so, yeah, it was really, it was, it was a great couple of years. And a lot of my friends that I've got now um, were, I met there and um, yeah, it was, and my, um, the music master at the time, uh, Paul Hughes, I, I used to gig with him on weekends as well. He was a trumpet player, a really good trumpet player. So, um, you know, we see each other in the band room on weekends and then you'd come in Monday morning. Yes, Hello, sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> but no, he's a great guy. Shh, but don't say anything about the weekend. No, 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 <laughs> no. He was, he was a great guy and a, a good mentor as well. So, um, and, um, and also, you know, it's good to have great teachers but also ones that treat you like a human being as well. Yeah. Like, you, you know, I might be 16 now but I'll be, you know. 18 in a couple of years, so yep. it's nice for people to treat you with that respect from day one. Yep. And he was really cool. And he was, yeah, it was, he used to play in the band with us as well. And yeah, it was good. So apart from that kind of school band stuff, was there, did you kind of break away to a garage band type thing with some schoolmates? Did, was, did that kind of thing happen? Oh, you know what I'm saying? Re- eh? Yeah, yep. really yep. early, like okay. even in the Oberon days, I used to do like talent quests and stuff with yep. with, with my brother and uh, and another guitarist as well. And there was always that there, even from a really early age. But from the age of 14, I was playing weddings and um, and functions with dad and, yep. and my brother. So yep. so I was lucky. In in most respects, I was lucky. Where, um, where I just went straight into working. I think my I think my first gig at the age of 14 was 400 bucks. Jeez, that's not I bad. I know. I don't, don't get that now. <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah I was, still remember mine. It was 100 bucks cash. 100 bucks cash. Yep, yep. Yeah, right. Yeah, I was 15 and I just thought, oh, my God. <laughs> Good save. I've made it. <laughs> I've made it. Especially in a small New Zealand town, mastered it. 100 bucks goes a long way, that man. Would, it would do. Didn't go a long way, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, four hundred far out. That's I remember. Awesome. Um, I remember. I, I went down. I caught the train down with my brother the next weekend to Sydney when Brashes was still open. Brashes. and went and bought like the biggest China symbol I could get. Right. Yeah, and which was pretty much unusable in on most stages. But yeah, yeah, that's what I did with the with yep. the first 
lot of gig money. I think the first couple. How of did years, you hold it up? Did you have the big stand with the counterweight? Oh, I don't think I see that would have been that would have been you know another couple of gigs to pay for that stand. Yeah, but um, yeah, no, yeah. I didn't have one of those massive um, yummy. Um, now I think I I don't know what I did. I think I might have even um, had sort of like a piggyback setup where it was just too loud. So then I put another symbol on top and okay. kind of choked it. And, and, right. and that, that I see worked. you were doing that back then. Oh, uh, trying. Yeah. See, I think, I, I didn't really. I, I've never. I've personally never done it. I've never stacked a symbol ever. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to me, I thought it was something that's only really been done recently, like the last sort of five to eight years. You know? well, I think Weckle was a big one for that, wasn't he? Yeah. Oh, yeah, true. He was too. But, the um, Back to Basics video. He had to, yeah, yeah, yeah. To yeah. go with the mullet. Right. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think, I think it was just Dad because Dad was one of those guys where, mate, if you're going to use that thing, we have to make yeah. it musical. So I had to compromise, but it was because I paid so much money for it it was coming on stage. Right. So that was the compromise. Yep. Either that or gaff. Yep. I think I've even seen photos of just heaps of gaff on it. <laughs> <laughs> it would have sounded awful. Yeah, that's cool. I've still got it. Yeah. Yeah. So at what stage did you um, head over the mountain down to Sydney? Um, was, there, was, there a, was there a time when you thought, okay, I need to get out of here? I need to uh, so I was chase playing, something else. I was playing down here a fair bit okay. anyway um, for, for different acts, like cover stuff. And I was in a, I was in a band up in the country, um, which we were, support, uh, were sponsored by um, Bundy Rum, and we used to do all the Super 12. This sounds like trouble. Oh, it was, it was <laughs> horrendous. Um, we used to do all the, like, the Super 12 rugby games. Um, so we'd do one week down at Brew Stadium, and then next week we'd be up here for the Waratahs, and, um, and we'd do all the Rodeos and, um, and like, Denny B&S. And so it was, it was a big circuit, and I was only... I was pretty young then, but I was still living in in Bathurst, and um, and so, but I was I was doing a lot of gigs down here, and and then started doing playing with cover bands down here, and it just got got more and more, and um, the guys who I wanted to play with were were down down here, and I knew that I'd never get a call up there if I lived up there, so I had to had to be here. So right, I think when I made the when I made the trip down was um, about two thousand and seven. Roughly, um, and or might, might have been a little bit earlier, um, and and I think it was I think it was also I got like um, I fought for a year to get like a transfer from my with my day job. Was, right. So, what were you doing? Um, I was working for Public Works, doing like IT stuff. Okay. So um, I sort of thought, oh, if I'm going down, um, I've got no family down there. How how will I survive? Mm. And um, and I had a pretty you know I had a, I was earning great money in Bathurst sort of both like I had probably 15 20 students a week plus gigs plus a full-time job in in Bathurst so sort of you know I was leaving a lot um so I needed some sort of support so moved down and and as it as it turned out I didn't get a gig in Sydney for a year no one hired me for a year shit <laughs> yeah so um going going back to what we were talking before we we came on air you weren't hustling Obviously, because no. you're not that guy, are you? No, I wasn't hustling at all. Yeah, um, yeah. I knew guys like I knew, um, like I knew Pete Northcote, okay. and I used to. I, I just lived down the road from the bridge, so I'd go up and see his gig every Sunday. Yeah, drive. Um, drive. Yeah, 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 that's right. Um, it was an institution. I think it went for 15 years or something. Um, but my brother and I, we used to travel down. We used to travel down a couple of nights a week from Bathurst to see um, those guys, kind of um, in the peak of it all, like when. 
like Kerry Buchanan was doing the um, Toto Steely Dan shows, um, and you know we were always down um, watching all those guys. So um, I remember. I guess when you're saying when was the point, I remember sitting in the basement with my brother and I said to him, if I can play on that stage with guys like that playing music like this, I'll be happy. Mm. And a couple of years later, I was doing exactly that on that stage with those guys, you know. So, yeah, awesome. yeah so that was, pretty, that was pretty cool. But that was the moment where I sort of thought, oh, I've got to have a crack here. And I don't regret it at all. It was awesome. Mm. I've, I sort of did what I said I was going to do, mm. which, is, which is pretty good. Not a lot of people can say that mm. in life. So, yeah. So how did you get to that point of doing what you said you were going to do? Like if you were down here for a year and nothing was happening... Were you, in saying that, were you going to auditions? No, no, I wasn't. Were, I, you weren't even I was going to actively, some, actively pursuing or? Not, not really. Like I, I sort of, I knew, I knew people. But I remember, um, um, what's the drummer's name? Emilio. Um, he, he used to do a residency at um, um, pub in Balmain. Um, and I remember speaking to him one night saying, you know, I've been down here for a few months and not working. And he, he said to me, mate, you'll, um, you don't wait for the phone to ring. Because and and, and, I said, oh, I'm not really part of the scene. He said, you'll never be part of the scene. You have to make your own scene and invite people to that. And I thought, oh, that's, oh. that's actually such great advice, really. And, and that's exactly really what, what's happened is you sort of you get your own scene and you do your own thing and and then eventually you look up and everyone everyone wants a, a gig and wants to be a part of it so he was dead right you just you know like anything in life really you just you you put your head down and and be yourself and do your thing and um and you know people will will want to you know come and watch and and play with you so the first the first break I got was um there's a um, there's a duo in town called the um, Sam and Jamie Show. Um, so Samuel Vincent and Jamie Lindsay. And they were playing at, um, it was the old Bavarian Beer Cafe in Camaray. And I went for, for a birthday party there. St- I was still doing, I was, the next day I was going up to Tamworth to do like 10 shows. But I was, wasn't playing in Sydney. Um, and my brother and I were there and, and, and just heard this guitarist, this Samuel Vincent, ripping these, all these lines and... My brother and I went down and sort of said, oh, you know, you were doing all these Dan Huff lines. And he went, oh, you know Dan Huff. And we, and we had one of those moments like you and you were speaking the other week about you and Johnny Adams at the back of a gig yeah. first meeting and you're yeah. in the car park for, you yep. know, four hours later you're still there. <laughs> yeah. I had that moment with, with Sam and Jamie. Right. So Sam invited me over for a jam. Um, and, and so probably a month later I went over and, and had a jam with him. And that's what started it all. Like Sam, Sam's a, like an amazing player and Jamie's a great artist as well. Um, Sam plays with, uh, he's in John Stevens' band. Now right. He's the guitarist for that. Okay. He's done a lot of, um, um, done a lot of stuff. But, um, and Jamie's doing a lot of solo stuff as well. But, um, so we, um, we started doing the duo uh, um, the trio now um, turned it into a trio, basically their duo show, and we were doing all the you know all the the circuit, all those sort of the Sunday afternoon pubs, um, you know same same thing as your your band was was doing in the day, you know probably three four five shows a week, mm-hmm. and that was funding the original project that they had, which is called Kings Queens and Fairy Tales, which is a real prog out there sort of um, right 
uh, almost uh, Nordic metal kind of thing. And I'm not that player, but I had to, <laughs> I had to learn pretty fast. <laughs> so anyway, but the, the guys didn't think I could play all that stuff. But then I, I had pretty good double kick playing back then and I could sort of um, play all that stuff. So I ended up doing that original thing. And it was, it was that prog rock kind of stuff that then got me into getting auditions for rock stuff. Like I, I came in as a sort of like a funk and country player, probably blues player. Yep. And um, and then I was thrown into this this rock thing, and then all of a sudden the phone rang for nothing but rock, and it was then Peter Northcote that asked me to audition for his original project, and yeah, got it, and the rest is history. Right. So yeah. Cool. Now people are surprised if I if I can play something other than rock, <laughs> but but I haven't. I've never really branded myself. It's just been the gigs that, that flow on. So. Um, so yeah, it's it's interesting. Uh, I've never hustled, um, and I think, and I've never really sold myself as as anything. But people and the, the industry ends up branding you as something, and um, people I think, from what I've heard, know me as the the rock guy. And you're the happy rock guy. The happy rock guy, which n- is never good for a photo shoot. You can't do those <laughs> like you can't do. But those no, you can't. You no, I, no, I've, no. I've tried a few, and, and it's I, just... I think if you did, people would go, Dave, you're right, man. <laughs> <laughs> I you remember, don't look very well. I remember with the original <laughs> one, like the guys tried everything, and and I look, I just look so silly, and they try and dress me, you know, with <laughs> stupid hats and and you know put you know shit around my wrists and and um, trying to harden you up, trying to harden me up, and and uh, and then and then I just you know I smile and the you know and my it, face it, would it, light it, up and I go there he is, oh. God love him. So oh. so no, I'm, I, <laughs> I was never I was never going to be on the front of a metal yeah. um, magazine yeah. ever. Yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, no, I'm not that guy. No, that's good. And I got a receding hairline too, so the, <laughs> so the long hair. There's, I tried that there's too. There's wigs. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm just yeah, I'm just not that guy. I don't think I fit into um any scene, any genre. Yeah. I'm like the sort of I'm, I look like an accountant that plays okay. <laughs> <laughs> no offense to the accountants out there. Yeah, nice one. Um so around what year was the that that first original project with Peter Northcote? Oh, I don't know. It might it might have been um, two thousand and maybe two thousand eleven, um, around that time, and um, that was really cool actually. Because um, I came in and um, and Tanti actually rang me. I don't know if you know Tanti. She's had a lot of she uh, does photography yeah, and yeah yeah, yeah yeah yeah. So Tanti She's rang doing me. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah she yeah. was um, she was. Um, working for Pete at the time and she rang me and said, oh, Pete would like, because she knew I, I'm a fan of Pete's. She said, oh, you've got, a, um, you've got this audition with Pete. And I went, oh, right, okay. And I, I remember it was, I, was at, I was at work and I, asked her when, I said, when is it? She said, oh, it's, it's in you know, two, three days and I've just emailed you all the stuff. I looked at the email and suddenly I just went, that's it, I've got to go. So I picked up all my stuff from work, said, no, I've got to go and came home and, and just... Just shitted. Just, just rehearsed this right. stuff. And some really hard stuff too um, that, was, that was in there, real, um, uh, real drummer's stuff. Um, 
I think there was some there was some I had to learn a lot of Chad Wackerman's parts that he he oh, actually right. he actually did the, the recording for Didn't they have a did they have a studio, studio together? together? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Right. and that's where I got auditioned. So walking into right. all this all this stuff. So Was he there? Was Chad Wackerman? No, no, oh, I, right. think, I think Chad had gone He'd at that left stage, at that and, stage then, okay. and then it was and then it was just Pete's but right. um, but Chad had played on all this stuff and it was all like he he's such a an amazing but but totally different player to me. Um and um and so I remember thinking, oh, how am I going to make this my own, but sort of do those parts justice? And, and, um, and there's also some songs which, which Vinnie Colaiuta played on, and uh, I think it's some Picaro stuff. And so I remember, I remember, and I had an electronic kit here, and um, I remember after the first day of, of rehearsing, I looked down and just my hands were bleeding, and I thought, right, that's, that's good. Oh, shit. That's good. So, um, and it was, I went in and um, got, got the gig, but... Pete said to me later on, we went out for dinner, and he said to me, oh, you had it after about the first three bars. He just knew as soon as it sat, he went, oh, yeah, that was so that was really good. And then um, we, we rehearsed a couple of bass players, and Bobby Poulton ended up getting the bass um, part as well. And I knew Bobby from um, doing the original circuit. He was he had his band, and I was in the um, Kings, Queens and Fairy Tales, and we used to do the same show. He, he was oh, on, right. in um, Torch Le Mans right. um, with... Um, Joel and Jordan McDonald from the, from Frankie's, so um, so we kind of knew each other, but not that well. And uh, so yeah, and then Bryden Stace on vocals, and yeah, Chris Jones second guitar, and yeah, it was it was awesome stuff. Really, really sort of kind of I guess Joe Satriani sort of stuff, yep. you know. But also too a lot of really nice ballady stuff, and and yeah, it was a really really cool show. Um, um, so that was that was kind of where I started. But I knew Pete forever. Um, first time I met Pete was um, he. I went to a masterclass that Simon Phillips did at the Enmore, and then it was such a success they um, Drum City put on a a private um, session um, in a studio in Surrey Hills where Simon had, I think it was 15 or 20 people and it was whole day and teaching you how to record drums in a, in a, in a studio. And he had a whole band and Pete was the guitarist for oh, that. Wow. So it was in, that was in 95, I was 15. So my mum and grandmother came down with me on the train from, from Bathurst. Right. And um, so Pete was the guitarist. So just on that, so he, he must have done that masterclass the same time he was here and did the, because he did a clinic at the Enmore. Yeah, that's right. Same. So my dad was, was it that day. No, it was, because it was, I was. I went to that clinic. Yeah, the big. And one. I've got the poster on my wall. Yep. So it's the, with the yellow Tama Star Classic. That's just it. come out. That's yeah. it. It was yep. so the same same kit the whole lot. Right. Um, um, I think that was the one. That was the tour. Where he said Qantas trashed his his kit on the way over. Mm. But, um, <laughs> but um, so Dad took me down to the Enmore one, and then on the way out in the lobby. They hand us the, the flyers for there's this there's this master clinic thing, right? And so and so literally we were back down a few days later for that as well. And I remember being 15, and it went a lot later, and, and I had to go, and um, so I didn't get to do the whole meet and greet thing. But I was there all day with him, but just watching him and right behind him, and um, and so I was a bit bummed. And then a week later, the um, store manager sent me a an Octoban um, skin signed. Oh, cool. So, yeah, they, it was really cool. Like, I was the youngest by far. I think probably the youngest person other than me was probably in their 20s and I was, I was 15. Right. So, it was, yeah, it was pretty cool. Um, so, yeah, so I, I had the bug. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, and, and so the rest of the um, my work in Sydney is just sort of snowballed from there. I seem to I seem to get a lot of my work from guitarists, not bass players. Usually, how it it works out. It's yeah, I've I've more been hired by guitarists. So right. I've played with a lot of good guitarists. Mm. Now, when we did that drum roundtable thing um, a few weeks ago, would I think? the topic came up about reading and stuff, and then you said you don't read, but you've got a very good memory. Now, can you think of a situation where that memory's really tested you? The yeah. hardest sort of memory? Sort of. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, definitely. Um, I can. Um, <clears throat> another, another day at work. All my stories start with me being at work, <laughs> um, just loving life. Uh, and... I got a phone call from Kerry Buchanan, who he's he's one of my favourites. Not even um, Sydney-based, but in the world. Like he's he's just a, a beautiful musician. He's just lovely to watch. Um, yeah, he's he's just a, a, an amazing player with great phrasing and breadth and um, breadth and taste. And he's also um, um, he's a really really great all-round musician uh, and producer. And so Kerry rings me and he said, Dave, I've got a gig for you. Can you read? And I said, oh, mate, I'm sorry, I can't. Um, I'm not that guy. And he said, oh, you've got a good memory though, do you? And I said, yeah, I actually do. I've got a, I've got a great memory. And he said, well, I've got a gig for you in two days with desk tapes and it's Doug Parkinson. Hmm. Right, okay. Um, I said, right, um, how can I get these desk tapes and when? He said, oh, well, Doug lives up on the northern beaches um, and he's home today. So, right, so uh, once again, poor guys at work. I was, I was, <laughs> up, on, I was up on, uh, <laughs> so, yeah, two hours later. Hi, Doug. <laughs> you, right. might, you might remember me from such an uh, episode. Yeah. No. Um, <laughs> anyway, so I grabbed the the desk tapes off Doug. Doug, hand, <laughs> Doug handed me the charts and I handed back and said, oh, they're no good to me, mate. Oh. And uh, I said, but I'll be right. And uh, so took off and, and pretty much didn't sleep for two days. And, you know, and I, n- not only was it nerve-wracking, but I also had to listen to Gordon Rittmeister right. just nail all these parts, which was actually a really good reference because when you, when you play along to a, a great drummer like Gordo, it's sort of a little bit of that kind of rubs off on you where you sort of think, oh, that's where it should sit. Um, and, yeah. And so, you know, there was definitely – I made it my own, but there were definitely some little Gordo moments in there that I tried to at least, you know, do him justice. Like I, I didn't listen to any of the originals. It was all it was all Gordo, really. Um, I think there might have been one or two tacked on at the end. But so, yeah, two days later I got to the gig and um, I think it was in DY at the old Lazotte's there – uh, and uh, I got there first, uh, <laughs> very early. I was Good call. About forty minutes early. Yeah, and uh, and I think we, we all got there early because they they knew that there was a new new guy and and um and so I knew also that all the other guys were were great readers and they were all they were all reading the whole gig so I knew, I had to nail it. Um, and um, who were those who were those guys on that session? Um, um, Michael Azapati. 
mm-hmm. um, was keyboards, yeah. yeah keyboards. I think he had a night off from Jersey Boys. Mm-hmm. Dave Longo, um, and it was and it was Doug and um, the bass player. I'd never I I didn't didn't know, and uh, so the bass player was the next guy um, at the venue, and he's just sitting on the side of stage, just unwrapping his leads, just really casual and. I, Oh, hi, mate. How are you? You know, I um, haven't seen you, haven't met you before, and um, you know, do you play? You know, where where might I know you from? And it's like, oh yeah, I just play every now and then. You know, anyway, lovely guy, and we got to rehearsing, and um, yeah, go through the set, and he's just a beautiful player, didn't miss a beat, just you know. Anyway, we're, it all went pretty well, and we're backstage, and um, you know, just everyone was really cool. Um, it was a great experience. Went on, did the first set. Nailed it. I was pretty nervous, and um, and came off and thought, oh, yeah, that was all right. That was that was okay. That was pretty good. Um, but still, halfway to go, and then the bass player started telling us some stories about some of his sessions and some of his you know friends, and, and he's talking about Steve and um, and Mike and um, and so Steve ended up being Steve Lukather and Mike <laughs> ended up being like Mike Landau and and. Um, <laughs> end up being Leon, Leon Gare, oh. and uh, like I grew up listening to this guy, and so suddenly yeah, I went yeah. from being, you know, reasonably relaxed because I'd just done the first set <laughs> to like, oh man, really? Yeah, and yeah. also to you know, think, oh shit, I've been sitting next to that guy. What did I say? Or um, so I went out and I just had the white knuckles, gripping the sticks really hard. And, no, yeah. but they were all, they were all fantastic. Um, and I did, um, I probably did another. Oh, I guess another half a dozen, maybe more shows with Doug in various forms of his band. Um, yeah, and that that was that was a great experience. I probably, to be honest, I was probably a bit. Um, I was probably still a little bit green and probably not that guy. Like I like I nailed that gig, but you know, you have one rehearsal and there's and there's chart changes if. You know, give me the desk tape for that. Oh, uh, yeah, right. Um, you know, these guys are just—that's their bag. Um, yep. And like, it was—it was one of the best bands I've ever ever played in. It was just so good. Um, one of my favourite guitarists, actually, Dave Longo, is in that band, and he's—he's he's just a monster. He's so good. One of those tasteful, beautiful musicians that he's um, not a self-promoting guy. Um, you, you hear more about him in overseas um, forums and stuff than what you do. Right, he, okay. he's just one of those dudes. Yeah, see, see his name pop up a lot on on gear for um, you know, um, gear forums. Yeah, my, my brother will send me things saying, "Oh, Dave's name's popped up again." Yeah, you know, right. Someone, someone <laughs> saying, "Oh, check out this guy from Australia." So cool. we've got we've got so many wonderful musicians here that um, that even a lot of the players don't don't know about. Yep. as well. But but yeah, Doug's that was that was bloody nerve wracking. Yeah, that how, one. how did you get onto Kerry Buchanan's radar? Um, I think it was, I think it was through Pete. Um, I, I used to go to a lot of Kerry's gigs. Um, and so he, he knew who I was, like he was doing all the, like the Toto and Steely Dan tributes at yep. the basement and God, we travel down my brother and I a couple of nights a week sometimes to watch some of those tunes, uh, yep. one of those shows. Yep. Okay. Um, but, um, I did. I think where Kerry heard me play was I did Pete's 50th uh, birthday gig at the basement and it was Kerry, Gordon Rittmeister and myself on drums that night, which was just a, 
a dream. It was one of those one of those nights. Where... Th- it's three drum kits. No, oh, no. Okay, different song. Thank God it was. Okay. Thank God it was my drum kit. Okay, so, cool. so <laughs> you know, I at least had that. Yeah, I had the home ground advantage. But um, um, but once again, it's it's sort of one of those things where you get up and you play. And then the next guy gets up to play and you go, oh, yeah, that, that, that's where it's – that's where it's <laughs> yeah. All right, all right. If I get yeah. one and more shot tonight, yeah, you, you watch me. You dig in a bit. And it's yeah. funny, when you get all those – that calibre of player, they don't get up and they don't chop more. They actually – it's almost like each drummer that gets up plays less and less, but the groove gets deeper and deeper. I, yep. It's hard to explain, but it's um, – like it was such a – that was a great – that was a great night actually. Um, but anyway, um, I think – it must have been from the back of that that, that yep. Kerry's then contacted me um, for that one. And there's a few other things too where I must have been on um, on the radar there. Um, so, yeah, it was really nice to have one of your, um, one of the people that you respect so much call you up and say, yeah. I think you can nail yep. this gig. Um, so, yeah, that was, that was that one. But, yeah, um, God, Frankie's every week. Was, yeah, was so, a, was okay, that, that was going to be my next question. So how did Frankie's come about? Okay. Oh, so, sorry, for the people oh, that don't know, what's, what's Frankie's? And, and um, yeah, tell that story. So Frankie's Pizza is, um, is a rock venue in Hunter Street in Sydney. Um, and um, around the time that it was opening, um, Bobby Poulton called me and said... I'm really sick of doing all these gigs where it's just there's nothing but soul gigs and sort of um, there's the same repertoire where, you know, it's the standard rep wherever you go in Sydney. Why don't, why don't we work on a new repertoire of, of rock standards that, that we should all play, at least just as a starting point, stuff that we want to play? And, you know, the issue will be finding a venue so I said, yeah, yeah, that sounds great. Let's just work on something. And if nothing comes of it, then get to have a few beers and play some good stuff. And so he recommended Joel McDonald, um, who he played with um, in Torch Le Mans and, and the, their original band. So we all met up and we had a jam and it just, just sat. It was really sort of, we were all really back. And it, all was, it was, yeah, straight away, three guys that hadn't played together in a in a band before straight away there was something there so we we thought we'd get you know we, we had another had another hit had, and you, had you played with bobby before yeah in pete's thing in pete's thing yeah right, okay, so that's where right. we sort of okay yeah. and um and just at that time so bobby was starting to sort of go to venues to sort of say you know we're thinking of doing this thing and you know as you know trying to find a new venue that's wants to play loud rock and it was unheard of and then all of a sudden Frankie's popped up and and we had the opportunity who was um Joel's brother Jordan McDonald he was helping the guys set it up and he sort of he's end up being one of the, the main guys I, I call him Fra- he's Frankie really I, I think um he's sort of the energy of that place um and a lot of the musical credibility as well um so he called Joel up and said um that thing that you guys are working on do you want to try it here. So we went in and met with, with um, the, the owners and they said, oh, what sort of music are you going to play? And they had all that stuff playing. I said, and we just pointed up to the ceiling and said, this. And they said, oh, right. Um, 
when do you want to start? I said, next week. We hadn't had anything organised. And, and they said, oh, what do you want to, what are you going to call yourselves? And we said, ah, oh, Frankie's world famous house band. They went, right, it's on. Just like that? Yeah, we just, we, just like it was just, and we all that's laughed great. and went, okay, right. Um, um, and so we all had a laugh and then, and that's, that's how it started. But we, we had to really scramble then because they wanted to do the, you know, different singers each week. So we had to really learn. Did the owners want that, or that's what you we presented sort of to them? It. We sort yeah, of pitched it to them because, yep. like they were, they were sort of saying to us, you know, how how can you how can you keep the interest up each each week? And and we and also too, we said, what's your slowest night? And they said Monday. I said right, that's our night. Oh, cool. Yeah, we'll we'll rip that. So we said we'll build your slowest night, and um and that's that's how that started. But we you know um each it was a different thing to. Rambling Rascal. Um, that one was a bit of a. It was a, a design show each week where you you get these singers in and they they come in with their their usual set list and you go, no, nah, none of that's going to work. And so you might not hire a singer for six or twelve months because it wasn't going to work there. So you challenge them to get out of their comfort zone because ah, because awesome. each week that's we great. were out of our comfort zone. We had to learn all this new stuff. Like I don't listen to any of that stuff. Uh, that was that's actually probably the the best thing about that gig for me was it forced me to learn a whole new style and, and appreciate this whole other thing which I never really did. Um, so so each each singer that we had, we would challenge, we would say to them, bring your set list that you've you know your list of songs, and we'd work with them over months to say no no you need that's no, still still not strong enough for for this type of place and even Frankie's give them credit. That the bar staff would come up at the end and say, that one didn't work, that one didn't work, not that one, don't do that one again. Um, so it was really like it was this whole ecosystem. So we, we had awesome. a, yeah, so it was, and everyone. That's unique too, eh? Yeah, yeah. So literally two days before the gig, the list would come in. And some, some <laughs> of the stuff was like huge. And, you know, you get home from work and... I put the headphones on and most of the stuff I hadn't heard before and I think, oh, all right, I'll, I better have a, a bit of a reconnaissance listen to see what, what's ahead of me. <laughs> and I, there's so many emails where I'd write to the guys go, fucking hell, guys. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it was awesome. Like, and, but we, we never rehearsed. We only rehearsed really for a handful of shows. Um, we did a rehearsal for... We did a, um, a Deep Purple Night where we got a lot of people in um Lockie Dolly um and and a couple of a couple of singers um we did a um a Thin Lizzy night um once the same sort of thing and we also did um a gig with uh Bruce Kulick out of Kiss and we did all Kiss tunes um right. from his he was he was in the unmasked era of Kiss right. yeah yeah um once again I didn't know who this guy was Joel and Bobby are jumping up and down going oh my god this is great mm. I'm like oh Sorry. Okay. <laughs> Who is he? <laughs> I'm just that guy. I'm just, I'm hopeless. Yeah. Um, but it, it was probably the, one of the best gigs we did on that stage. So we rehearsed that one, but not with him. He got there that afternoon and we sat downstairs like we'd always do. We'd, we'd do our work at home and then bring it together and we'd all sit down for a beer and, and run through stuff. And usually I'd just be clicking and, you know, and the guys would bring their, you know, their guitars downstairs and we'd just top and tail and go through all those really intricate parts half an hour before the show and then hit the stage. And each week it was like that, so it was, it was 
um, adrenaline each week and you had to be prepared for six years straight. <laughs> so, so, that's, so that's where like, the memory ended up being really good. There were, you know, there were some songs you could learn in two listens and there's others that, that were a real nightmare. But So, yeah, my memory's pretty good and um, both Bobby and Joel, um, I, think, I think both can read. Um, but there was never any sheet music on or no charts ever on stage. Yeah. And that was, that was a bit of a policy too. And even, even when singers would bring an iPad up, they, they'd kind of look at each other and, oh, no, 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 no. Can't do that. Can't do that. Yeah. Sometimes, you There's know, definitely we... a thing about that, isn't there? There's, yeah, bands that I've played in, it's been like, nah, no iPads, no, no sheet music, and others have been, oh, yeah, no, it's all, it's all good. I think it's got its place. Um, it's got its place, yeah. Yeah, I, I, look, I think, um, yeah, I, I just I don't think it had its place there um, so much. Some singers did it, but they put it down on say where the you know where the audience couldn't see it. And yeah, just like have on it the fallback a, or something. Yeah. yeah, just a bit of a reference if they got stuck. But um, you know, with with one of those performance kind of shows where it was such high energy, you almost want someone to stuff up. Rather than get it right and right. look down, yep. Um, and I look, I love stuff ups too on stage. If someone falls up, you know, you do your best and you rehearse everything, but yep. If there's a screw up, that's pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Actually, that's what Pete does really well. He'll stop middle middle of the song and say, "Come on, guys, let's have another crack at that." Oh, really? That section, and people find it hilarious. <laughs> it's great. He'll go, "Oh no, we stuffed that in." And come on, let's do it again. Sometimes three or four times. Go, okay, right, okay, we've rehearsed it now. We'll be right next time. <laughs> that's cool. And yeah, that's part of the show. As long as you get people laughing with that, yes, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, you did that for six years. Um, you've um, you got a young young kid now. Yeah. So, what, did that have a lot to do with the with you pulling away from? Yeah, yeah, yep. definitely. Yep. Yeah, had a lot, had a lot to do with it. Yep. And also too, just sort of um, a couple of things there where, <laughs> sort of, it was. I sort of thought too, you know, am, am I going to get any any better at this show, um, and for this band, um, and it's it's probably, um, if I was to back away now, then maybe it'll it'll take a different direction again and go for another. Six years. Um, Did you feel you're holding it back? No, no. But you okay. sort of, you sort of, not not holding it back, um, but just it couldn't. There was it, it had reached it had reached its shelf life with that exact formula. Gotcha. So now it can kind of go in different directions and do different things. But now it was it was such a like it was such a good band and it still is. But um, and was really proud of it. And it was it was hard. It's a hard gig to give up to because it was, it was such an institution. But um, it's one of those things where I just felt, oh, I've, I'd like to do something else. And it was, it's the most physical gig I've ever done. Right. Like, it was really... Were um, you having to lug every... Uh, or did, were you able to store a kit there? There was... So, or, or a house kit? So there was a house kit there, mm-hmm. but I chose to bring my own kit in for five of the six years. <laughs> So when I started using the house kit, I realised, oh, okay, this might be the beginning and the end. So, okay. um, but yeah, for five years, I bought all my my kit in, as well as my like you know butt kickers, and I had my own um, little um, Alan Heath um, mini like oh, personal mixer thing. Yep. So I I had to run ears there because it was such a small stage and so loud yep. Yep. that it was killing my ears as well. Okay. So I had I had like silent monitoring 
through the the Porter and Davies. Yep. Um, and yeah, and also ears. And um, so I did that every week for for five years. And um, yeah, so and then but there was there was a house kit there, a Ludwig, really nice Ludwig kit there. But you never know the condition of it each week when you turn up yeah that's the thing with the house kits hey so i so i just i I just always bought my kit in and um for but then after a while i'd then i'd then use the house kit and just bring my snare in and cymbals and um but some weeks i actually got to the point where it was good for me you'd come in and you go well it's totally different this week let's let's go with it like the the toms might be tuned really high so you you'd play differently you'd you'd play a lot um um wouldn't have to lay in as much. Yeah, not lay yeah, in, but yeah. also too that you, you get different phrasing because the um, and you know different um, you know total different tuning. So you'd play different, and I'd, I'd try and do melodic feels. Yeah, <laughs> yep. silly, but um, yeah, but it made you think a bit more. Um, but yeah, so that that was <clears throat> it was one of the best things for playing that that gig. It made me sort of just rock solid, mm. um, <clears throat> and um, I think it it. Um, if people didn't think I was the rock guy before, I think they do now. Right. Um, but no, I got to play with um, so many great touring guys as well. Like we had, <clears throat> let me see, um, we had a lot of the guys from um, Guns N' Roses come in and we, we played with those dudes. Um, we had Marco Mendoza who, he was, um, he's in Whitesnake and Thin Lizzy and he oh. actually got up and played the night of, when we did the Thin Lizzy tribute, I think I think it was the Thin Lizzy tribute. Marco turned up, and Bobby had a stomach bug, so he had to duck off the stage. So Marco finished the show. So you, it's oh. it's almost like McCartney getting up at a, yeah. a, 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 <laughs> at, a at a Beatles tribute, and we're just all wow, you know. So that was that was cool. We had a lot of we had a lot of great musos. Um, you know, some of the guys out of Keith Urban's band um, turned up and, and played um, as well. Um, we had. Yeah, it was like, like Chris like, McHugh come down. No, Chris, no, not, Chris not, didn't come. Okay, yeah, thank God. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's 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 one of my favourites. He's oh right, okay. Oh yeah, yeah he's amazing. Yeah, he is, um, yeah. It was yeah, but uh, um, we every week there was there was touring guys coming in, um, and um, they're all like all really cool as well. We I haven't met one, you know, one bad dude. Once once all those guys there, it's. You know they're there for a reason. They're yep. really good at networking, and yep. they're and they're lovely people. And um, but yeah, um, it was so I was I was exposed to a lot. It was I think that was my without touring, that was my shop front for, um, you know the the scene outside of Sydney. Really, yep. everyone came to me instead of me travelling to them. Yeah, great. So that yeah. was that was a nice thing. That was that was the best I could do with being a you know um, sort of staying here and having a day job and. Um, Having a wife and you know planning a family, I thought, well, let's let's see if I can get people to to my gig instead of yeah. travelling everywhere. Yeah. So it was the best I could do. Fantastic. All right, so um, I know you're a massive Toto fan, um, Jeff Bacaro fan, and so am I. <laughs> so yeah, here we go. <laughs> <laughs> no, so um, you mentioned earlier um, when your dad had the shop in, in Bathurst, um. You know, there was all that sort of old music going around and, you know, Toto was a band that you were listening to and stuff. I I think we, we were talking off air about this. I discovered Toto after Jeff Beccaro died. Mm-hmm. 
um, and I have told this story on an, another podcast, but I'll, I'll quickly tell it again. My old drum teacher when I was in New Zealand, he came to like he used to come up from Wellington to my school once a week. Really happy guy, outgoing, and you know, I, you know, he was always excited. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, I, I, you know, went went to my lesson, and he was depressed. He was sad. Um, and I said to him, "Man, what happened?" And he goes. Have you heard of the band Toto? And I said, oh, not really. And he goes, well, the drummer, Jeff Beccaro, he died today. Mm. Um, And then he started crying. And I'm like, fuck. (laughs) You okay, man? You know. So, and then we ended up talking a little bit about Toto and he, he gave me a little bit of a rundown. And then I went away and discovered Toto, basically, and and discovered Jeff Beccaro. And then... I think from the first time I kind of zeroed in on that music, I I, I was hooked. Um, can you tell me a song or a moment where you kind of got hooked on Jeff Beccaro? Yeah, right. Well, wow, that's what an introduction. That's mm. that's pretty. Yeah, that's full on actually. Um, mine, as I said earlier, there was a lot of guys. Um, coming around um, dad's music shop who were all into it. Um, but I do remember that I think it was a holiday with my it – was, it was around the time my parents had actually broken up and my dad took my brother and I sort of around that time was happening on a, on a big holiday. And, um, and I, I think it was – looking at the timeline, it was probably just before we, we realised what was going on um, – Anyway, so we we were, I think it was, you know, we probably had five or six hours of driving up and back on holiday and then around for the week or two. And there was a couple of CDs in the car, um, tapes in the car, but I think we stopped off and we um, we got Toto 4 as one of the, as one of the tapes for that trip. So it was one of the earliest memories of listening to all that stuff. And, and when, when you're a kid too, you just, take on every little nuance of, of all that yep. so my first and we also had um i think the other big one was uh dragons um dreams of ordinary men as well that was that was the the album and i think there was some little, little you spoke little, about that in the, yeah, the round and table yeah yep. and um a lot of that sort of so that kind of um there was a few of those those tapes floating around, but um, we really we all honed in on on that one. And my brother and dad were guitarists, and I was just staying to learn drums. And um, so so I guess I first approached it from a bit of a sentimental the whole band thing, and and then and then I had this drum teacher a guy called Barry Hahn, who was just a a real meat and potatoes guy really solid groove he played in dad's band when i was and and i i was getting lessons off him when i was a little little guy and he was he was a jeff nut um and so he and and at the time i i I, he he always said oh rosanna was the holy grail and um and you know if he he joked he said if if you can play that one day um i'll never teach you again anyway we laughed and anyway I, i practiced and practiced and one day he came in and I said, hey, hey, Barry. And I played it for him <laughs> and that was it. 
<laughs> no, but that was not what I intended because he could have, um, for whatever, I don't know, whatever. Um, it, it may have just been sort of around the time. I think he moved out of town as well, but um, but he, I could have had years and years of lessons with that guy. He was just, a, he was a real, an early mentor and he was, he was right into Jeff as well. And um, you just, you get that... Um, like your drum teacher, um, these people had already researched this guy and and knew what he was about, and you can just tell by these dudes when they're so upset that this guy's gone. That hang on, someone huge has just passed away, and I I I should know about it. But it was my brother and I were right into it. We we were part of the um, <laughs> so we're living in Oberon, can imagine it, no internet, and um, we we used to um, we used to be on the mailing list of Pro um, pro audio imports, which are all the um, CDs from the states, that because we couldn't get Toto records anywhere, and um, at that time they were, they were not doing well in the US, so it was really hard to get any of those yep. those records. Um, no internet. I think we were part of the Toto fan club, which was Toto ninety nine. I think <laughs> yeah, it was yeah, called. so was I. <laughs> yeah, and we used to get our newsletters, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and yeah. they always came out like on pink paper or, yep. and sometimes they stuff up and actually i had the internet and i used to get mine emailed oh right. sorry no. sorry dave no we were <laughs> uh, from over on uh, i was from i was no Bernese. yeah oh, Bernese, yeah. yeah yeah um yeah i think i think they got lost somewhere in janola caves <laughs> <laughs> but i remember what, i remember there's a couple of times we actually got like two or three of them all in one hit because awesome. they just forgot to send it it was yep. like nah yep. and the funny thing was my brother and i we both had to get our individual ones so we'd be both, we'd be both sitting on the lounge next to each other. Oh, that's cool, yeah, man! Had to both, you know, send both to the same address. Great. Um, so we were right into it, and then yeah, I, I think I would have. So it was ninety two that he died. Yep. So I was twelve, and I remember coming home from school. This is my brother. Just he um, <laughs> he hates this story. Him and I were having a fight, and um, and he he was trying to get to me, and he said, "Oh, and by the way." Jeff Picaro died. And I went, I went, you're kidding me. No, no, you can't say that. And he said, no, he did. Look it up. Anyway, <laughs> it was like, he said, oh, even the other day, I saw him, he goes, oh, sorry about that one. Yeah. That was, uh, but, um, but, you know, we were young kids. And, yeah. um, but he, he, he probably likes Jeff as much, if not more than I do. Right. And um, it's just one of those things that it's part of your vocabulary. It's part of your, your memory. Um, I had a different experience where um, I grew up listening to Jeff at such an early age that um, my approach even, like I, I sort of I swing a lot in my playing as well and he's sort of, he's got that real sort of snaky thing on, yep. the, on the hats and, and, you know, a lot of that, that triplet kind of all that yep, sort of stuff. You like, do that stuff too. Oh, all the, like it's, you know, I, I probably get criticised for doing it too much. It's just part of your, yep. of your music vocabulary. Yep. But um, no, my brother and I... Huge Toto fans, and um, and you know, I, but I'm I'm as much into say Steve Lukather as what I am. Jeff yeah, Picaro. yeah. Um, For me, it's know. been it's been more the bass players. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. At, you know, as you know, because yeah. So so for me, you know, yeah. Jeff died in '92, so then I discovered Jeff. But while I was discovering Jeff, Simon Phillips was playing. Yeah, drums. Yeah. And they released a, their first live album yep. with Simon Phillips. Yeah. So while I was kind of, yeah, discovering Jeff, I was thrashing this live album. Mm. So I got to know Simon Phillips. Completely and then, different player. A completely different player. And then, 
you know, they came out saying we're gonna. There's this new album, Kingdom Kingdom of Desire, that's coming out, and it's Jeff's last album with Toto, and it was kind of Jeff had already di- he died, mm. so there was this like this big um, anticipation. Yeah, you know, because yeah. um, I'm from a small town as well in, yeah. in New Zealand, and and I pre-ordered this this record, and I was actually really nervous when it came out, mm. and then when I put it on, the first thing you hear is. I'm like, fuck. Oh my god, this is awesome. And and completely different to what sort of he'd done previously too. There was I remember hearing rumors too that like Tommy Lee had done that track and other other stuff. Oh really? Yeah, like just because I think because I think um, Lucas had done things with Tommy Lee with like I think they were mates and I think they were on an album with Richard Marks Rush Rush Street or something as well right um, and yeah so there was there was sort of rumours going around because whether or not they they finished it or not right but I think I think it's you know I think there's there's it's Jeff it, oh yeah but it, there was rumours going around that that other people had sort of had, um, kind of filled in some of the gaps there but I I don't think so but um, yeah. yeah but oh, amazing and um Jake to the bone yeah yeah that's I guess illustrate that there was so much hype and yeah, you know, right. it was the last album he'd um, he'd played on and did he finish it? You know, right? And, um, and yeah, poor Simon coming in after that and I, know. I just read Steve's book and they yeah, said it too. was yeah it was hard yeah. hard sort of going out on the road and um, after it but um, but imagine I guess I, I look back though I'm I'm 38 now. And I think I think Jeff was thirty eight, wasn't he? Thirty eight, thirty seven. Thirty seven. Yeah, yeah. Thirty eight. Yep. And he'd played in on twelve hundred records, maybe more. Yeah. And he was thirty eight. It's crazy, eh? It just it blows my mind. Um, and you know, and and even if he wasn't playing on them, he was probably engineering or um, those guys were just like, I don't think we'll see another time no, like no. that in music, no. really. No. And and a collection of dudes like that. It's yep. just full on. I think towards the end of his um, – oh, sorry. Have you heard the story about – Sorry, the band's rehearsing across the road. No, and, I, I, uh, no I, I wasn't actually listening. I'm, try, I'm thinking, <laughs> looking to the abyss for th- – Ladies, for what ladies of, and gentlemen, for there's, there's, a, there's a band rehearsing across the road in the in the hall. They were playing Bowie before. Were they? Yeah, Rebel, Rebel. Oh, they were. Mm, they had the tempo down, down too, down, I think. They, they did. They yeah. nailed it. Yeah. Um, there was a podcast, Steve Lukather – was on this podcast and I think it was I, I hit that I'd hit that podcast. The guy was asking Steve questions about Jeff, about, you know, um, you know, his life and all that sort of stuff. And then and then did they have any idea that he was ill or anything like that? Apparently he used to complain a lot of sore arms, sore hands and stuff. He did. Yeah. yeah. And and um he just thought you know, fatigue or something like that. But you know, yeah, possibly a Underlying mm. 
heart condition. Yeah, well, it's, it's mm. uh, and then you sort of think, geez, yeah, I, I get sore too. And yeah, and yeah. Like I actually had, um, I had like bad hand swelling um, sort of there sort of last year at Frankie's and had, oh, some, had some hand problems. I've had, you know, hearing problems as well. You know, that's why I wear at a lot of loud gigs, I'll, I'll have yeah. cans on a lot and have okay. the Porter and Davies um, butt kicker seat. Right. So I've sort of, you know, that, that's too, That's also why I won't do heaps of shows unless there's great monitoring. Yeah, right. Um, I just won't, won't do it. Cause I, I, I almost get vertigo after a couple of, loud gigs yeah right yeah so yeah. yeah everyone's got their thing but yep. yeah even there's a there's a um a clip that's just service service of um Picaro giving a, a clinic at the um musical institute yeah that's that's quite an old one there but yeah yeah, yeah and, um and he can he said they said to him um something like um uh he he made mention that uh all these all these um real um he wishes that he was a more physical drummer. He said, I get tired and my arms get sore and mm. I wish I was a big... He said, I'm a little guy mm. and, um, and, and I, can't, I can't drum for hours and hours like those guys can. Mm. And I, that was him sort of saying that I, I can't keep up. And yeah. Yeah, right. so even, he was even sort of alluding to it then that there was yeah. something going on. Yeah, um, yeah it's a, a terrible, but mm. um, I, I guess he lived... Think of what he jammed into his 38 years, though. Mm. I think he was playing with Sonny and Cher when he was about yeah, 14 or 14 15. or 15, yeah, and then Boz Skaggs. And, <laughs> yeah. Apparently, and I don't know if this is true, um, his wife is now suing Steve Lukather and Dave, and Dave Page. Page. Yeah, did yeah, you hear so. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah for... Yeah, um, back payments or something. Yeah, I've, 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 yeah I've heard, heard that. Um, I think it's... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure that there, I've and I've looked it up. There is a, I've I've looked it up. There's a, there is a, um, pending suit. Pending suit there. It yeah. could possibly be the end of Toto. Don't know. Mm. Yeah. Well, mm. I, you know, I don't you know, know how long they got to, to go. Yeah, in. I, I don't know how far. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've I've seen them twice now. Yeah. Um, I didn't go and see him this last time. Yeah, I did. Oh, you did. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I went and saw yep. him. Yeah. Mm. Just to see Shannon Forrest. Oh right. Okay. Yep. Fair yeah, yep. man. I, I think it's, um, it's probably the best. It's probably the best it's sat. Oh, yeah, right. I loved. Sorry, I loved watching Mike Picaro. Yeah, well. did you um, see Mike Picaro? Yeah, yeah. yeah. At the Enmore. Uh, um, sorry, at the Metro. Sorry, I'm at the Metro. Yep. And I first saw them in New Mia. Ah. Like there was a there was an ad in the Sydney paper, um, and it said next next week, Total playing in New Mia, and my brother and I flew there. Fuck. And, and a mate, um, mate Julian as well, we flew there and put our bags in the hotel, pretty much went straight to the gig, watched the gig and then went, hang on, we've got a package, we're in Yumea for a week, what do we do now? Oh, but brilliant. Yeah, so we, that was the first time we'd, we'd um, seen them and we, were, we, we had one of those VIP passes, we were right at the front. Oh, great. That was the first time I'd seen them. Um, and what tour was that? Was that the Falling In Between? Uh, I don't know. Uh... I think so. I'm not sure. Mm. Um, I think I think it might have been. They were basically doing a um, a new Mia and a Vanuatu as a bit of a holiday for them before they went home after their. Oh right, okay. Um, but the '92 or '93 one where Jeff had died and they yep. came out to the the um, what was it? Salinas. 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 Yeah, Salinas. yeah. My brother and I, we tried so hard to get in, but I was only 12 or 13, and and <laughs> Mum. 
um, mum rang all the promoters and the venue to say, look, is there any way you can get my kids in? Because they're just diehard fans. No, nothing they do. So the morning of the concert, uh, I love mum for this. Um, my brother and I are really bummed, but in, in the mail, mum had ordered all the tour T-shirts. Oh, man. So, so, so this time around when Toto came out um, this time, I bought mum tickets. So oh, mum and great. I, mum and I awesome. went to Toto. Fantastic. And my brother was there too and yep. yeah, dad. And so we sort of, it was a bit of a, you know, mm. thanks mum. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and she loved it. Like she, she was right into it. Because she, growing up too, I, I said to mum, how many songs did you know in the end? She said, oh, nearly all of them because you kids played <laughs> so much. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so I, I saw Toto at the Metro. Yep. And that was with Mike Picaro. Yep. And yeah, that, that was the Falling In Between tour. Yeah. Um, Bobby Kimball was out for that. Yep. Um, and then I saw them again. Was that the Enmore? Yep. Did I say Enmore first? No, yeah. Met, Metro, Metro was, was yeah, first. Metro was and first then and then at Enmore. Yep. And the Enmore gig, um, Lee Sklar was playing bass because mm-hmm. I think Mike, Mike had just, just started yeah. Yeah, start to get sick or whatever. And they were Simon Phillips and Lee Sklar was set off over to the right-hand side. So we, we, me and my mate were up the back, but so we um, beelined down and we, 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 we kind of sat ourselves right in front of Lee Scalar and Simon Phillips. Wow. It was fucking magic, man. Yeah, yeah. Lee Scalar didn't what? look at his base all night. No, nah, he's, he's a monster. It's incredible, yeah. Yeah, he, he's, he's – and, and also too, I think they've had David Hungate back for a while as well, who, yeah, who yeah. played the first four albums. Yep, that's it. Um, yeah, yeah, and he played a bit on their last album too. He did. Yeah. 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 Have you heard the stuff that um, Jeff had played on? Yes. Oh. Yes. <laughs> so good. Li- yeah. oh, what's a uh, my Spanish heart or whatever? Hang um, on. Spanish C is it? Yep. Um. Yeah, Picaro. Um. Yeah, he's. <laughs> what is? Yeah. What? what is, yeah. What, what else do you say? say? Really? Yeah, that's it. Um. And you. Um. I don't know if you've seen the, the thing that Lee Scalar, he, he does a series of um, interviews with all like JR and yep. all those great players about, you know, um, Keltner and yep. how they, you know, what their thoughts were on Jeff. On Jeff, so yep. yep. For someone to do an actual series of, of what these, all these amazing musicians felt about Jeff, was, yep. it just goes to show he, he was one of those dudes. And I think personality wise too, I think he was more than just a, a drummer, I think he sort of, he was the the head of that community yep. at that time, yep. and everyone kind of looked up to him, and he had a real vibe to him. And I think listening to some of the the interviews with Lukather, I think he even used to have like poker nights with all the you know with all the session guys at yeah. his joint, he yeah, had his right. own studio at home, and yep. um, yeah, it was just it was you know a boys' club for exactly for session guys back yeah. then. Yeah, debaucherous. And... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, but no, he's, um, yeah, definitely. I'd like to think I I play a little bit like him. Yeah. Um, but I think I'm a lot, a lot different. I think he was, he's a lot, he's a lot smoother, probably more, a, you know, um, definitely the session guy. I think yep. I'm a bit of a, more of a live. He's, he's also the guy that, um, he's not trying to be like no. anybody else. Like we, like you and I, kind of talk about. We we play 
try and play like or not try and play like him, but we think we do play like him a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, there's 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 things where you think, oh, I think Picaro here, you know. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. I think, the, but then again, he he's, probably, he's probably got those people. Well, you know, he, there was Keltner and yeah, 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 yep. Yeah, he um apparently too. Oh, I don't know where I read it. He he used to get like someone to give him a whether it was a a cut of their album that was that was coming up or or something that was released. He'd go home and he. would Work on the whole album, and he'd work out the whole album and play it, and play it. And he wouldn't sleep sometimes, like right. he was just so buzzed by this piece of work that one of his mates had done or his heroes had done. So they're all, you know, all those guys. They've got the bug. Yep. And that would have been he'd probably have done 10, 20 sessions that week, and that's probably yep. at the end of it. That's it. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, it is. <laughs> so, um, what does the future hold, Dave? Um. You got plans for the next twelve months, music-wise? You know, kind of stay on with the Rambling Rascals thing. That's an ongoing thing. It's an on, yeah. Yep. So, so that's an ongoing thing. Um, it's really, um, there's always, there's always a, um, it's one thing to grow, as a, you know, as a drummer, as a musician, um, but it's also great too to, um, to see a, a venue grow as well like like what we did with Frankie's yep. um, um, Frankie's is its own ecosystem now really like yep. it's it's unstoppable that place it's it's you know going great um, rambling I rascal. love how you've called it that its own ecosystem you, you said it earlier I think that's awesome yeah what a great way of, of describing something like that <laughs> yeah. no it's really cool well yeah it is definitely some of the some of the creatures in there too yeah creatures in there. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, uh, but no, it's it, it. They've they've done a fantastic job because it's because it's authentic, um, and I think that's whether it's in your playing or running a venue, and they're authentic and they're consistent. Same with the Rascal guys. They um, they said, look, we, we want to start doing music, and um, we've been doing that there now for over twelve months. We've just you know every week we're we're there and um they they're consistent their their energy's up they're um they're an, an authentic bar they're not trying to be anything you know that they're not um uh, it's yeah i think i think a lot of venues make the mistake of looking what they're doing down the road and we'll try and do that and we'll try it for a couple of weeks and see how it goes and then if it doesn't right. work we'll try something else and you know the people aren't coming really you need you need twelve months minimum um, with anything to see whether it's it's got legs or not. Um, or I've, I've been lucky enough to be involved in a few venues that that are in it for the long haul and, and understand that you can't um, you can't have an institution overnight. It needs to build and build and build. And um, you know if you've got if you've got one person each week that comes back again. You know, eventually you've got to line up out the door, and that's that's what you want. But, yep. um, and I, I don't know in regards to future. I, re- I really don't know. I hope um, I'm not playing as much. Um, I'd like to because uh, I've got um, my little daughter Maisie, and um, which is it's awesome and it takes up a lot of time. Yep. Um, I'd like to see what she gravitates to, whether it's music or sport, or um, so I think I'll probably play a big supporting role there um i would like to get back to being more of a a fan of music and doing just development and listening 
at home, and and that's just time. Yep. And I think I think like yourself, you know, working all the time, um, you you struggle to have that that passion that you did when you were a kid because you just you, you've got so many other things to do. So I think my goal really um, from now till you know till um, the end is really to just try and feel the same way as I did from when I first heard those tapes really mm-hmm. and and get back to that and be a be a fan of music and just um like I used to run home from school because I had a groove in my head and I didn't want to lose it and and um I want to get back to that whether it's playing in front of you know heaps of people or your peers or or just sitting in a in a room somewhere and and working on something or listening to an album with my daughter or my wife or you know mates my brother or um that's all that I really, I've done, I've done a lot of things that I'm proud of, and I, I'm not, sh- I don't really have any. It's probably probably bad to say, but I don't really have any career goals, more life goals in in um, just loving music and 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 I'm interested to see where where it'll go. Um, I might end up just trying to keep up with my daughter and play in her band. <laughs> if if that happens, that's cool because yep. that that's that's what I did with Dad, and that was, you know, my brother and Dad have got a, a band in Bathurst at the moment, um, and it's they're kicking ass. That they sound great. Um, Dad's playing great. Dad's singing great. Um, the whole band, it's it's a it's a proper band. They they rehearse. They they're into it. They're all they all love it. They've all got great gear. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I th- I think that's I think that's the go. Um, so yeah, I've um. Um, just I'll just keep going, and if if people ask me to play, then I'm I'm happy to play. Good stuff, Dave Ferry. Thanks so much for being on the Gig Life podcast. Thanks, mate. Pleasure, Thank man. Oh, I love what you're doing. Cheers, man. Thank you yeah. so much. Thank Cheers, you. buddy. See ya. Cheers, bro.
Thank you very much. Spencer Jones back on stage.